This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by Athon Books. Check out the very best in science fiction and fantasy at athonbooks.com. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wine, Jared Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O. Sanders, Robin Mock, Ernest Klein, Tim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have J.A. Jantz back on the show with me today, talking about her amazing new book, Missing and Endangered. And uh, this is uh, this is the latest in the Joanna Bradley, uh, Brady. excuse me, Joanna Brady, I'm sorry, <laughs> I couldn't read my own notes, the latest in the Joanna Brady series, and uh is this book 19 in the series? Uh, it is. It's book number 19. Wow. What what an amazing accomplishment. Uh, and and what, a, what an exciting read uh, Missing and Endangered is. Uh, I, I can't wait to talk about it today. We, we spoke about a year and a half ago when Sins of the Fathers came out, uh, which was in the J.P. Beaumont uh, series, another fantastic long-running series. Uh, so welcome back to the show, J.A. Thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. Actually, Missing and Endangered is published novel number 63, which is not bad for a girl who wasn't allowed in the creative writing program at the University of Arizona because, as the professor told me, you're a girl. Well, I proved him wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You know, of of all of the dumb statements uh, that that should go down in history. I think that should be one of them. Well, it is certainly um, memorable (laughs) to me, and I I got even with him. I put him in one of my books as a crazed killer, so that works works for me. (laughs) Oh. In in the first of the Walker family books, Hour of the Hunter, the crazed killer turns out to be a former Professor of Creative Writing from the University of Arizona. Take that, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you've showed him. I, I think uh, it, no no sense uh, spending emotional uh, uh, emotions on, on a loser like that, for sure. No, um, just handle him. That, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, Jay, since you... You are known for these long-running series um, that you've that you've written, uh, the Joanna Brady series, um, that the J.P. Beaumont series. How do you keep these long-running series going and keep each one feeling as taut and uh, you know the stakes are high? That that is a real accomplishment. Some you know some writers maybe do five books in a series and, and feel like they have completely mined it for everything that they can. Um, how do you keep coming up with, with new situations to put your characters in? I think part of what keeps it fresh for me is the fact that I'm not writing about just a single set of characters. I, the ability to move from one group of characters and one very specific locale 
to another set of characters and another set of locale helps keep me interested in those characters. And each, each one is its own little circle. You, you can't see me doing this, but I'm waving my hands. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, the fact that they are so distinctly separate is, is part of what helps me. When it's time to write a Beaumont book, within a couple of pages, because his, his stories are told in the first person in his very singular, curmudgeonly voice, <laughs> within a few pages, I'm in his head and back in his world. And the same holds true for the other characters as well. I think that's what helps keep them fresh. But the, the advantage of writing a long-running series is that you have more time to create those background characters. They're not just little paper cutouts. They turn into people as well. In uh, Sins of the Fathers, one of the main characters in that recent Beaumont book was a character who first appeared back in the 80s in Beaumont number four. And with, with the Joanna Brady series, when we first meet Joanna and her daughter, she is a young married woman with a nine-year-old husband and with a nine-year-old daughter and a husband who's a deputy sheriff. By the end of that book, she is a very young widow who is now running for sheriff in her husband's place. But you know what? She still has that nine-year-old daughter. We meet Jenny in the, on the very first pages of the very first book. She's nine. She's bright. She, her grandmother is there to babysit while Joanna and her husband Andy go out to celebrate their 10th wedding anniversary. Now, Jenny has just had a little bit of sex ed at Greenway School in Bisbee, Arizona. And bright little thing that she is, she has counted on her fingers and figured out that there aren't quite enough months between her birthday and her parents' 10th anniversary. So she asks her mother if she was a preemie. Well, of course, she wasn't a preemie. <laughs> the wedding was the thing that was late. <laughs> so that question, of course, is a bombshell because Joanna's mother, Eleanor, has always been on a tear because Joanna got pregnant in high school and had Jenny when she was nine, when she was 17 years old. So there's that. And then we find out books later that Joanna's parents had a child out of wedlock and gave that child up for adoption long before they married. So that, that little snippet of conversation sort of laid out the path for the whole series. Now in Missing and Endangered, we see Joanna, she, Jenny, we've watched her grow over the years, and now she's a sophomore at college and at Northern Arizona University, and she is there, this very resourceful, determined young woman. And that's what you can do in a series. You have a chance 
to grow characters and watch them change over the years. They aren't just stuck in a, a groundhog, groundhog Day kind of time warp. But your your two um, series that that we're talking about Beaumont uh, and and then the Joanna Brady series, um, you know, one of the uh, other than all of the other differences, one of the stark differences in those two series is one, uh, the main protagonist is a male and the other is a female. Um, are, is is that um, do you enjoy um, that dichotomy of character in, in switching, you know, writing one series over the other that that you really do get to kind of flush uh, flush your brain uh, of of one character and completely go, you know, to a different character when writing that? Does that help to keep it fresh, having one male protagonist, one female and 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 all of the differences that that brings with it? Well, that, that may help keep it fresh. I can tell you that writing the Beaumont books in the first person is, is a real challenge because, number one, I'm not male. Number two, I've never been in law enforcement. Uh, I spent 18 years with a man who died of chronic alcoholism at age 42. I'm having a bit a moment here with my puppy. My puppy (laughs) has joined me in the room and has just done something bad on the entryway rug, but I am. (laughs) You didn't need to know that, but I'm sitting here trying to keep my mind on what I'm saying. (laughs) Well, you know, this show is all about real life uh, and and that happens. In writing the Beaumonts, the reader only knows what Bo has seen, heard, done, said, or thought. And so writing those books requires a very rigorous sense of concentration just to keep that point of view accurate. I wrote nine Beaumont books in a row, and I was tired of him. And when, oh, the other thing is, he is a Seattle native, and when I started writing the Beaumont books, I had lived in Seattle for less than a year. So I had to do a tremendous amount of research to have the Seattle stuff right. When I, after writing nine books, when I threatened to knock him off, my editor said, well, why don't you come up with a different character so you can alternate? And I thought, okay, how about if I write in the third person instead of in the first? How about I have a, how about if I set this book someplace I know well? So I set it in southeastern Arizona, where I grew up. How about if I have a female protagonist? And and because I'm over six feet tall and I always wondered what it would be like to be short, I decided to make Joanna Brady short. <laughs> and so those were the ingredients in the background when I started the Joanna Brady series. What? Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website 
your home on the web where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Dream Author by Sophie Hanna is an immersive 14-month coaching program for writers at any and every level of experience, and also for those of you who want to write and are just waiting for the right encouragement and guidance to get you started. Your writing dreams should make you happy. For so many of us, our dreams are not a source of happiness. Instead, they cause us stress, guilt, frustration, and even shame. Here's the great news. All of these feelings are natural and all writers experience them. The problem, though, is that when your writing dreams bring you more anxiety than joy, it affects your resolve and your productivity, and you end up not taking the action you need to take in order to propel your dreams in the right direction so that they can stand a strong chance of coming true. That's why Sophie created the Dream Author Coaching Program to teach anyone who is passionate about writing how to change the way they build, think about, and pursue their writing dreams in order to become their own most powerful ally and advocate for the rest of their writing life. And more great news. Once you've learned that skill, it lasts forever. Visit dreamauthorcoaching.com to get started today. When, when you were on the show last time, you told us this great story of Mrs. Spangler's uh, class and what a, what a huge influence she was on you in, in kind of lighting the spark uh, of wanting to be a storyteller. And, and your, uh, your experience with, uh, with Frank Baum's uh, Wizard of Oz, um, what was it that, that uh, led you to your love of police procedurals, um, thrillers? Um, because you may not, uh, you know, on the surface, you may not draw a connection between The Wizard of Oz and thrillers. Uh, but is there a connection there? Well, reading the Frank Baum books dragged me into reading. And, of course, after Frank Baum, I went on to read Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And after that, I went on to read Travis McGee by John D. MacDonald. And so I always, I always loved murder mysteries. 
And I think it's important to to write what you love. If if you look down on I met a guy who was writing murder mysteries, but he really wanted to write literary fiction. Well, if you're if you're doing that, then you're really sneering at your readership. Right. I it would I don't care for romances. Personally, it would be hypocritical to write romances just because I thought they would bring in money and I could you you can't fool readers. I think readers understand whether or not the person writing the books loves what they're doing. I I wanted to say one more thing about Joanna. As as I started writing those, I kind of imagined that she would be an amateur sleuth. But as she started looking into what really happened to her husband when he was gunned down, she started asking questions. And I said, you can't, you can't ask that question. You're not a cop. And at the end of the book, I decided I had written police procedurals for so long that I just <laughs> couldn't figure out how to write an amateur sleuth. So that's one of the reasons Joanna ended up being uh, being sheriff. But I, I, I've always loved mysteries, and that's one of the reasons I write them. Well, the the characters have evolved over time, as, as you uh, talked about, and and Jennifer Brady has become um, really a forefront character in this book, uh, even even more uh, than in the past. And Jennifer is is off at college now, and uh, and and has a roommate uh, in Beth. Uh, wh- where did the character of Beth come from? Well, I said I've never been a cop. But one of the things I do as part of research is I watch true crime TV. I watch ID Discovery. I'm a big fan of Joe Kenda's Homicide Hunter. And I watch how the investigators ask questions. Of course, when I started writing Bo back in the 80s, there was no DNA. The, if there was blood found at a crime scene, you could type it and eliminate people with other blood types. But there was no DNA. The fingerprints were on cards in individual police officer offices. There was no automated fingerprint identification system. There was no CODIS. So... I'm watching not only for how cases were solved in the past, but also how cases are solved now. And in watching about a year and a half ago, I believe, I saw an episode of Web of Lies on ID Discovery about a 16-year-old girl who almost committed suicide after in a case of extortion, an online predator had masqueraded as a young guy to become her boyfriend. And then after encouraging her to take nude selfies, he, if she didn't do exactly what he said, he threatened to release them over the internet. And so that was, that idea just sat in the back of my head. I didn't say, 
oh, I'm going, I watched this and now I'm going to turn it into a, a Joanna Brady book. What happens is things go into my head and they sit in my head for a time. And my husband claims I have a wearing blender inside my head. <laughs> and when that idea comes back out, leaks into my computer keyboard through my fingertips, it's changed into, into something else. But yes, Jenny has changed. Readers will remember when she was given her for her first horse back years, books and years ago. And now she's attending college on a, uh, on a rodeo scholarship, a rodeo team scholarship. So all of these things tie together. When I, when I wanted to use that story, I didn't want Jenny to be the one who was victimized because I think she's more worldly wise than that and a little smarter than that. Instead, I created this very naive roommate who is book smart, but not worldly wise. And, and that's where Beth Rankin came from. That I, I love that that you uh, you know thought about this circumstance and and, and thought about you know, would Jenny be right for this uh, but but she wasn't she was too worldly wise um, that you know some some people would just shoehorn a character into a situation if it fit the story um, but but sometimes the story doesn't fit the character uh, like that and and of course the character Beth comes and and embodies that uh, perfectly um, but it. Especially with a long-running series like this, it is important to um, for characters to behave um, the way consistently. that you, yeah, consistently. That's they, uh, have, they have to be who they are, and as a consequence, the writer has to understand who those characters are. Exactly. The other aspect of this book, the the thing that makes Joanna Brady interesting to me is yes, she has this very complex job. But she also has family and faith considerations. She's, she's a whole person in my, in my mind. I read a book years ago where there was a killer and a, there was a dog in the book. And the dog was in the book for no, I don't believe the dog even had a name. It was just a family dog. And he was there for no other purpose but to be the victim in a house fire when the killer burned down the house. The family was gone. There was no written provision for taking care of the dog, for feeding him. The dog was there only to be a victim. And I really resented that. If you're going to put a dog in the book, or if you're going to put a child in the book, then you need to take care of that child or that horse or that cow or whatever is in the book. Somebody needs to be responsible for that. So here is Joanna. She's a young widow with a child, works long hours, has unpredictable hours, but she also has family responsibilities. And that's where Butch came in. And when I told my then editor that I was pretty sure Butch and Joanna were going to get married. She said, oh no, don't do that. You can't, 
married characters are boring. Well, I don't think being married is boring. I think being married is <laughs> challenging at times. But somebody had to be there to keep the home fires burning while right. Joanna was working. And that's, that's how Butch entered into the scene. And now, now he and Joanna have two young children together in addition to this much older college-age daughter. So the other aspect of this book is Joanna's world of being sheriff and Joanna's world of being a mother. So in part of this book, she's dealing with sending us family Christmas cards. And in another aspect of the book, she's dealing with a situation where one of her officers has been seriously injured in a, a fatal officer-involved shooting where her officer was injured, but he, he fatally shot a suspect. So the book is juggling all of those balls at the same time. And I, I think that's part of what keeps, keeps the interest. Uh, I, there's a lot of this book, it's set around Christmas time. And I was writing this book in the middle of the pandemic. And I think writing this book was a way, and it takes place two years ago before we ever met COVID. So I think writing this book was a way of giving myself back Christmas <laughs> for this year because uh, it's a very ordinary Christmas the way we all once knew it. But I received emails from my from my fans and one one woman wrote to me about a situation in her family where her son was had been in an abusive I hear from fans and when I receive an email I respond that that's my job because readers are my bread and butter business. So a woman wrote to me talking about a situation in her family where her son was just getting out of an abusive relationship. And in the subsequent custody fight, she had accused him of molesting their daughters. And so there was no access for him to see his daughters. And of course, they couldn't come visit their grandmother either. So she had, she said, wrote to me in January and said, I'm leaving my Christmas tree up with my granddaughter's presence under it until they're able to come and open them. And 15 months later, that Christmas tree is still up. But that started, that put an idea in my wearing blender that we always assume that if there's an abusive relationship, the husband is the one who is at fault. And so that, that story from that woman really impacted the way I wrote Missing and Endangered. And if 
if I were to choose a favorite character in this book, it would be the little girl, the little seven-year-old girl named Kendall, who has assumed responsibility for her five-year-old baby brother. What do you have any, have you developed any sort of tools over the years of keeping track of these, these, uh, these recurring characters and these ongoing series? Are, are there thing, things that, that you've developed over the years that, that, that keep you from, you know, cross pollinating one character in, into a series where he or she doesn't belong or, you know, seeing, you know, what has happened to a character in the past? Well, I used to keep all of that stuff in my head, but that became complicated. I was, I was uh, at book signing, and there was a line of people, and there was this couple who were standing there waiting to have their book signed, but they were just grinning at me, and I thought, what's up with this? And so they were there to have their most recent Joanna Brady book signed. And when they came up to the table, they said, do you realize that there's someone in this book that you killed off in Desert Heat? <laughs> uh, well, actually, no, I hadn't realized that. I looked back through Desert Heat, and they were absolutely right. It took me a couple of books to paint my way out of that corner by, <laughs> by having the guy who was still alive in that book be the namesake of the guy who died earlier. But now I do keep a, a name file, and I I try to keep track. I there are the thing is I've realized that there are some places where there's an Athena in the Allie Reynolds books, and now there's an Athena in the Beaumont books, and so some book some names just grab me. The Athena in the the Beaumont book is because the the little girl who was the inspiration for that book in real life is named Athena. The Athena in the Alley book was named after one of my son's classmates back in junior high. But I tried it in my name file. I, I put in their name, their, their birth date, so I can remember how old they are. Their how tall they are, color of hair, color of eyes, if they're a police officer, the kinds of weapons they carry, the kinds of cars they drive. So when, I, when I'm writing the next book, I can go to my name file in the previous book and move that into the, into the name file for the book I'm currently writing. So that's how I keep track. Well, the new book is called Missing and Endangered. Uh, this is uh, a, a must-have uh, if you're a thriller lover, and especially if you've been following along with Joanna Brady through the years. This this is a must-have on your shelf for this year. Um, we're going to put I, links to it in the show notes of this episode uh, where you can get it in Kindle edition or hardcover or audiobook. And because uh, we were talking before we started recording, uh, because – Book tours are, are you know, kind of a, a a troublesome thing this year. Um, you are offering something to readers uh, to to uh, to make their book collecting a little more enjoyable. Uh, how can someone get a, a signed book plate? Well, just 
just write to, if you would like a signed book plate for Missing and Endangered, uh, write to me at J-A-J-A-N-C-E, two J-A's, at me.com, and I'll be happy to sign and personalize a book plate for you. What uh, what you need to do is write to me, give me, and I'll give you the the address information instead of trying to do it on the air. But my my email address is listed on my website, and feel free to write to me there. Excellent. What a what a great way to um uh, to to try to mitigate some of the craziness that we've experienced with with. 2020 and 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 you know the continuation of this pandemic um ja if people are, are first are, are just getting to know you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do where can they find you online well i'm at i'm at jajance.com i write a weekly blog that because my life revolves around writing it's often the blog subject is often different aspects of writing. This week's blog is about the people to whom Missing and Endangered was dedicated. Uh, I also, people can also write to me and ask to be added to my newsletter list so they'll know when new books are coming out or when paperbacks are going on sale and, and so forth. I do not sell my list, by the way. It's my list. It's nobody else's list. One other thing I'd like to mention is, yes, this is Joanna Brady number 19, but it is also a book that can stand on its own two feet. You don't have, in writing a book, I try to include enough information so that new readers will feel at home while not boring my my long-term readers to tears. So it's a real tightrope, but uh, I think new readers will feel at home with Joanna in Missing and Endangered. Absolutely. Missing and Endangered is a must-have, like we said. There are links to it in the show notes. Uh, We're going to send everyone to pick up a copy of it. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show with me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, Look no farther than Pico's house. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's house is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started. The Bad Company Complete Series Omnibus, books one through seven. Humanity's greatest export, justice. Space is a dangerous place, even for the wary, especially for the unprepared. The aliens have no idea. Here comes the Bad Company. The Bad Company, book one, Colonel Terry Henry Walton takes his warriors into battle for a price in this first installment of the bad company he believes in the moral high ground and is happy to get paid for his role in securing it set in the kutharian gambit universe terry char and their people humans werewolves were tigers 
and vampires form the core of the Bad Company's direct action branch, a private conflict solution enterprise. Join them as they fight their way across Tissakinen 4, where none of the warring parties were what they expected. The seven-book series Omnibus includes The Bad Company, Blockade, Price of Freedom, Liberation, Destroyer, Discovery, Overwhelming Force. Grab the complete Bad Company series by Craig Martell now. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Anderley. Virtutus Gloria Mercies. Translation, glory is the reward of valor. Fed up with playing the normal game, recent university graduate, ex-cum laude, ex-soccer star, ex-popular and mostly broke Cara Madonna changes her life when she decides to research how to be a witch and believes it. Cara didn't want to go back east and deal with her overbearing mom, so when university was done, she stayed behind in Los Angeles. Little did she realize how controlling moms can be from the other side of the country. Feeling a little desperate to make her own way, she buys a few books on business and one on a lark, How to Be a Badass Witch. That's when the trouble started. Find out just what trouble a young woman can get into when the magic just might be real. How to Be a Badass Witch by Michael Andrews.